Hello friends, welcome to the Coffee and Beer Podcast. This is our special preseason show. Happy to bring that to you. I'm your host, Nick Pinizzato, here as always with the doctor, Mr. Mike Broman. And as I said, this will be our preseason special. We are, uh, we're about to kick off our seasons here very shortly. Some of you have already started. We're jealous, but it is that time of year. It's the most exciting time of the year. We're excited to do the show, and we're going to be joined today because you don't want to just listen to us, I assume. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Maybe they do just want to listen to us. Well, um, if, if they do, thank you. I'll just say it that yeah. way. <laughs> I mean, I just saw in our board meeting last night that our, our listenership is skyrocketing. And that's exciting. So thank you to everybody that's listening. But anyway, to spice it up a little bit, we're going to have Jason Red from Timber Ninja join us. Big time hunter. Uh, He has a lot of good strategy he's going to share with you as well as the completely useless information that you'll get from the doctor and I. So anyway, uh, it's going to be a fun conversation. Thanks for listening in. And as I said, the doctor is in. You've heard from the doctor. Mike, what's new with you today? Uh, just, just focusing on preseason stuff. We're really getting down to it now. So everything is about the attention to detail. Is this ready to go? Is this ready to go? Checking it once, checking it twice. I almost feel like Santa Claus, you know, checking his naughty and nice list. Yeah. And you go through that state where you're like, you're sort of in disbelief that it actually is going to be hunting season and you can literally go out and try to shoot a deer. So, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I feel prepared. We're going to talk about that a lot. Uh, here with Jason here in just a few minutes. Hey, let's go through some housekeeping. Um, Reminder, the next episode is an Ask NDA Anything episode to submit your questions. Uh, I don't have, actually I have one. It's it's not really, it is a question and Matt Ross has already answered it. I'm going to share it on the show because it's an interesting one uh, for the next show. But other than that, I don't have any Ask NDA Anything questions. So if you want to win a hat, send me your question. Uh, Also, model, right? Or, or yeah, I got, well, I got, you know, I got a box of stuff over there. There's some stuff. So if you win something, I may ask you, Hey, what do you want? You know, maybe there it'll be go. a, might be a brand new, you know, pickup truck or something. Probably won't be, <laughs> but you never Most know. Most likely won't be. Yeah. But you never know. Uh, also, we're looking for B team stories from our listeners. The B team report has been pretty popular. I hear from people about it. They, they get a kick out of it. Uh, send us your B-team stories. It'd be cool to add a listener B-team story in amongst the chaos and absurdness that is the B-team here of the Coffee and Deer Show hosts. So uh, do that. Speaking of the B-team, we're going to bring you the B-team report toward the end of the show. So stick around for that. Also, I want to point out an, under the housekeeping category here, we have a brand new NDA website. If you've been to our site in recent days, you may have already seen it. But if you haven't uh, checked it out yet, DeerAssociation.com, Lindsey Thomas, Brian Grossman, the rest of the communications team have worked really, really hard on it. They've done an outstanding job. It's cool stuff. Check it out. We're excited about it. Hey, our show sponsor today is Analogics. And for the second year in a row, I have used their crush line of food plot seeds. And Mike, you're probably annoyed. I send you more pictures of my food plots than I do (laughs) of my kid. And so you're probably, you're probably annoyed, but I've just been really impressed with their seeds and I am not one to give credit where it's not due at all. Matter of fact, it's hard sometimes to get a compliment out of me, to be honest with you. But uh, I've had tremendous germination success with them. The plants look great. Uh, I, I exceeded my expectations last year. This year I'm on the same 
uh, path. I've used several of the different varieties this year. This year I added the great grains to the perfect 10 that I was using and also the brassica blend. Every single one of them are doing really well. And I'm also, maybe the most impressive thing is I put a new clover seeding in. Uh, this would have been maybe three weeks ago now, maybe a month. And I didn't really expect much out of it here in the fall. I was really expecting that to come on in the spring. But I have to say, it is really coming on strong in a fall clover plot. So I've been really impressed with it. And so uh, Analogics has a number of products, but I do want to point out in particular uh, their line of crush line of food plot seeds have done really well for me. So, Mike, I apologize for all the pictures. Well, and the thing is, number one, you have a child. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> will is awesome. Uh, but no, you do send me a lot of pictures. But what I will say, and you forgot to mention, though, is that the pictures you're sending me are of your plots. But there's there's also the utilization of your plots. That's what it really is. I mean, every picture comes along. It's turkeys in there, deer in there. So that's the most important part. Yes, they grow, but do deer want to utilize them? And I can attest from seeing dozens upon dozens of pictures that yes, they're utilizing them as well. Yeah. I get a lot of pictures right now, deer and turkeys at the same time in their feeding, which is kind of cool. So yeah, they're doing well, but check it out. Analogics, uh, longtime NDA supporter sponsor. So uh, thanks to the folks at Analogics. Hey, we're also kicking off, it just kicked off on Monday, our gear up for fall sweepstakes. That's going to run till the 27th. That's a combination of products from Alps Outdoors, Moultrie, and HHA. So also check that out. Buy yourself some tickets. Win some cool stuff. All right, as I said, stay tuned for the B-Team report after our discussion here, but we're going to get right into it. It's time to talk about the 2022-23 deer season with myself, the doctor, and our buddy Jason Red from Timber Ninja Outdoors. Jason Red from Timber Ninja, joining us today from the mountains of the beautiful state, the Tar Heel State, North Carolina. A lot of similarities between North Carolina and Pennsylvania in terms of the mountains. Uh, but uh, Jason is a big time outdoorsman, deer hunter, been a hunter his whole life. He has a lot of experience in business as well. He's the founder of Timber Ninja Outdoors, which we'll talk about a little bit later on here. But he's going to be a great addition to this discussion. We didn't want you to just have to sit here and listen to the doctor and I talk about all of our big plans for the season. And so we thought we'd bring a guest in that has some, actually, I should say some credibility. Mike, I had to bring somebody in that had any credibility on this topic of deer hunting. So Jason, thanks for joining us. Wow. That was a great introduction. Uh, it really talked me up there. So hopefully I can, I can back it up. Well, we set a low bar here. And so you should be able to just step over the bar. Um, and so, yeah, we do things like our B team report, which, uh, which we'll go over here uh, a little bit later on. So, uh, no, in all seriousness, thank you for being on here, Jason. And I gave a brief discussion about who you are, but why don't you fill in the gaps for us? Yeah, Jason Red. I, I grew up actually in the Delta region of Arkansas on the Mississippi river, um, started hunting when I was seven years old. Primarily I've hunted public land my whole life, uh, a lot of it was because, you know, I grew up, we didn't have a lot of money, so we couldn't afford private land or getting into clubs and um, hunted for a long time, got into endurance sports and mountain sports like rock climbing. And then I moved to Asheville uh, in 2009. So I've lived here for 13 years and 
that's what really got me into mountain hunting. I do a lot of, most of my hunting for whitetails is usually mountainous or bluff country type terrain. I just like the terrain features and really the scenery. So, um, I'm a, you know, dedicated whitetail hunter. I do a lot of hunting out West as well for, you know, elk. And in a few years ago, I got into going Alaska, which that's really my, my main focus and dream as far as adventure hunts. I just love Alaska. It's a great place. And I want to do more of that. Uh, didn't get to go this year, but I have a trip planned for next year that I'm working on. And, uh, as far as whitetail goes, I'm, I'm primarily a traditional bow hunter. I hunt with a long bow, been doing that for uh, a little over four years now. And, uh, but I also get out and I gun hunt a little bit. I like walking around, uh, just covering country up here in the mountains and hunting with my rifle during rifle season, which is, uh, I use that time, you know, I'm, I'm hunting, but I also use it as a, a time to scout new terrain. So, but yeah, I've been fortunate enough to take some good mature class animals. I, I really, you know, as you guys know, uh, from your relative fields, uh, here in the mountains, we're not known for a high deer density, but we do have a, a really good, um, number of mature deer because not a lot of folks hunt in these remote spots. They're able to tuck back in the hollers and put some age on them. So it's, that's really my passion. And then as you mentioned, I also own Timber Ninja Outdoors. So. Yeah. And we'll talk about the, the Timber Ninja for sure. Uh, pretty cool stuff there. You and I actually talked in at the Archery Trade Association show, which seems like three years ago. Now it was actually just earlier this year, but um, at any rate, um, yeah, we have a lot in common that way. We have a common friend in Bo Martonic who's been on the show and actually uh, his most recent episode, I started getting text messages yesterday, people saying, Hey, I'm listening to you on Bo Martonic's podcast. So uh, I was just on there as well. And Bo being a big mountain hunter, I think with his work and his ex his exposure and, um, you know, he's had you on there as a guest talking about mount mountain hunting, that just continues to be uh, sort of a growing trend. And in these even high pressure states like Pennsylvania, North Carolina, there are some really good deer out there for the people who want to wear out the, the boot leather and go find them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, you know, and I, I've talked about this on numerous podcasts, uh, hunting these mountains. I and, mean, you know, there's the national forest that we have here in Asheville. We, you know, we have essentially, you know, somewhere over 500,000 acres of national forest and in remote areas and wilderness areas. So it's a really adventure based type hunt. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that want to go out West and maybe don't have the experience or maybe don't have the money, but they live on the East coast. You know, there's a lot of mountains here. You can have a similar experience to what you get out West hunting whitetails. Yes, absolutely. Don't sleep on the Appalachians. There's some great deer in there tucked away. So, Hey, let's get into it guys. This is going to be a fun episode. It's, it's one that, uh, that the doctor and I look forward to. And that is, we're going to talk about the coming season. We're going to talk, we'll give you a little bit of what our strategies are. And we'll talk a little bit about expectations. Maybe you, you all listening have similar expectations and uh, some other things. So let's just go ahead and get into it. And so I'd like to start uh, by asking you guys, where all you, where all you planning to hunt this year for, for whitetails? Jason, you're our guest. So we'll start with you. Well, uh, I'll be hunting here in North Carolina uh, for a good part of the season. I always take trips out to the Midwest every year, usually during, uh, you know, focusing on a rut hunt. But, you know, I usually go out earlier because what I like to do is pick um, new states every year if I can. And uh, so this year I'll be heading to Illinois for the first time. That'll be like the primary focus. And then 
you know, after that, I plan to go to Ohio and hunt. I've hunted Ohio a number of years. I really love that place. And then also I plan on uh, going back to West Virginia at some point this, this year as well. So where are you going in Illinois? The doctor and I uh, had some fun escapades there. And I also lived in Ohio for six years. So those are two definitely outstanding states. Uh, wow, that's a proprietary question. Uh, <laughs> just give us a county and then you no. can then you can send us like an onyx map point oh, no. no it's fine it's it's big country so it doesn't matter uh i've really been psyched on checking out shawnee national forest for a number of years so you know it's a big big region of public ground has some wilderness areas there too so we'll be going to shawnee national forest for the first time this year that's awesome and you know, th those places are vast and you can tell people because they still have to get off their butts and actually get out there and go find deer. And, and most people won't do that. So I think you're safe there. Um, all right. That's a, that's a pretty impressive list. Uh, what's up? What's up with you, Mike? Of course, you're putting the actual thorn between the two roses. Cause I know what you have going on this season. So um, I'm not nearly as exciting as an, or adventurous as Jason or you, but um, this year, is is kind of a transition year for me um living in new york now and everyone knows i have property here but just like anything else if you overhunt anything public land private land or otherwise it turns into pretty much garbage so i have three uh public ground pieces in new york that i have my eye on that i'm scouting one is um closer to work one is closer to my place here and the third one is an hour and a half away but it, it is um multiple tens of thousands of acres and i hunted it back when i was in my 20s and uh i'm excited to actually get back there just because my mindset and my understanding of like hunting mountain deer when i was in my 20s is different now and so i'm excited to even though i've lost a bunch of decades in physical ability I think my mind is is better prepared for it. So I'm excited. And then obviously returning to Pennsylvania and uh, hunting down there. So that's pretty much it for me. Nothing exciting. I don't know. It sounds pretty exciting to me. You're going to be exploring some, some of your old stomping grounds. And I think it's good that we have three different sort of uh, things going on for the year because someone, everyone will be able to relate to to what we're talking about here, which is good. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for my year. I've got Pennsylvania, of course, and then Delaware with uh, my good buddy Ron Hawes out there, looking forward to uh, chasing some nice deer out there. And then we have a hunt that we raffled off earlier this year at the NDA. It's a three-day hunt with me and my colleague, Hank Forrester in Kentucky, in the mountains of Kentucky. And so we're, we get to hunt, although our primary responsibility there is to make sure our guests are having a good time, but it'll still be deer hunting in the first week of November. So that'll be great. And then at the end of the year, I'll be going out to Missouri for our Field to Fork event that we have out there. Um, we'll have about between 12 and 14 new hunters, and that's always super rewarding. I love going out there and being around the new hunters and getting a chance to mentor them. So it's kind of a mixed bag for me, but uh, definitely looking forward to, to getting to those places. So, um, so let's talk about the outlook in these places they're hunting. So what are we seeing? Are we seeing any mature bucks popping up out in the spots you hunt, Jason? Yeah, I'm actually on two different mature deer that I found last year. One of them I committed my host season to. Uh, he was one of, one of the bigger deer I've ever seen up here and bigger, obviously bigger than anything I've taken. 
and I dedicated my whole season to him. And then while hunting him, I found an area that I felt confident about, found some really fresh big bucks on in, put, put some cameras in there. And my plan is like here, my best time as far as success that I've had killing mature deer is our uh, second archery season, which, you know, is, goes to the 31st of December. And I had plans to sit that area that I, I was confident in that he was using uh, at the end there. And then I ended up getting COVID. And I even after recovering from COVID, I still didn't have the long capacity that I felt to hike back in there. Cause it's to get to that spot, it's about three miles and about 1500 feet of eleva elevation gain and then loss. Cause you kind of go up a ridge down a flat and then drop off. And, uh, so I didn't get to hunt that, but I came in in Turkey season, pulled the camera. He definitely showed up that week, uh, oh, geez. uh, along with, a another good buck, but then a, another just absolute monster for here. Um, and really he's got me psyched. So I've put a lot of time into trying to figure him out, hunted him last weekend. And so, and going to hunt him this weekend, but that's kind of my primary goal uh, is to get on one or both of those would be awesome because we can kill two bucks here. So it'd be, you know, that'd be, that'd be like hitting the lottery if I was able to get an opportunity on one or both of those. Yeah, that would be, we'd have to have you back on the show to tell us the story of the, uh, of the two bucks you got. We won't put that pressure on you though. So how about you, Mike? Well, as everyone knows, I, I don't target deer. Uh, I'm a, I'm a late starter because I'm a rut hunter and it's just always been because of my job and I have cameras out now and I am collecting data, but historically what I do is I collect data for next year and the year after. So my cameras are soakers and I'm going off of data that I've gotten from the previous two years. So I have uh, the spot in Pennsylvania that I shot my buck in last year. Uh, I just, I know what date window and what wind direction, and I'll be in there. You know that I'm uh, trying to develop another spot that'll uh, help with a south southwest wind versus a north northeast um and then with that being said the other locations are just going to be all putting my time in and, and using my my woodsmanship skills uh trying to rehone those a little bit especially for these three new areas up here in new york and um the one thing i've learned over the years you got to trust your gut uh historically when i'm walking through the woods either to scout or the exciting thing is behind Remy now because I I found some of my best spots bird hunting with my with my dogs. You know we're looking for grouse and woodcock and when your gut tells you like it, you stay have to stop and look around a little bit. Um, I need to stop and really break those spots down or mark them and come back without the dog and really break those down. But I'm an opportunity hunter in regards to being in a spot when the rut hits. Uh, I'm going to potentially see the buck that I want to kill or a buck of age that I want to kill. So that's kind of my plan is just. Um, just establish those spots and begin to learn them about when I want to be in there and in on what wind. So that's it for me. You know, I think both are fun as I was listening to you guys talk. I mean, I, I enjoy being aware of a deer for a couple years, sometimes longer. There was a couple in Ohio that I knew about for like four years, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> but then I also love the element of surprise that you don't necessarily know when you hear a twig snap, what might be coming through. And so that kind of defines my whole season. I, I know in Pennsylvania, on my place, I've got, uh, which is a good thing, several bucks that are three and a half years or older, 
uh, two or three, four and a halfs and older, which is good. And a couple that I would, I have one that I'd really like to target. He's a nice 10 pointer. Uh, I think he's a four year old deer. He's got nice long tines. He's not real wide. But then beyond that, you know, I know those deer. I've known that deer for a couple of years. Uh, when I go out to Delaware, I mean, Ron, Ron's running some cameras out there. I'd like to put a couple out. But for the most part, I have no idea what I'm going to see there. So it really is, you know, take whenever you get the opportunity, you take it. Same thing in Kentucky because I'm not there scouting either. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but I kind of enjoy both of those approaches. Um, so as far as excitement for the coming year, this would be a two-part question. What are you guys most excited about and what are you most concerned about? Jason, what do you think? I'm most excited about, well, checking out a new state. Uh, I I usually don't do much intel gathering prior to going to a new state. I like to go in blind and kind of just learn the country. So I'm really excited about hunting Illinois for the first time there uh, to go in and gain that intel and hopefully capitalize on a you know mature age class deer while I'm there. Um, what I'm most concerned about, I would say, is probably the deer I have history with. Um, you know, it is public ground. I have heard through the grapevine about a guy coming in off private that is hunting a really big deer in the air around the area I'm hunting in. And he's a gentleman that's killed 200 inch plus deer in Kansas and has told people this deer is something that gets him really excited. Wow. And, uh, so I know he's not walking up into the country I'm in and he's essentially pouring out the bag of golden nuggets down on the private land he has access to. And, it's most of us know that that strategy usually doesn't work with mature deer in case, unless, you know, he gets drug in there by a doe or something. So, but you know, it, things can happen. So that that's the biggest concern that I have currently. Yeah. It's always great to know when there's a giant deer around, but then it's also scary as hell, right? Like I wanted to, was excited to, to, to have a son and a child, but then once he got here, like all I've done has been a nervous wreck. So it's like the same thing. You find a good deer and you, 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 you're just a nervous wreck wondering what's going to happen to it, but uh, good stuff. All right, Mike, you're up. So uh, I am the most excited to be able to get back to that big piece of public in the mountains here in New York and test myself mentally and physically as I kind of touched on. I love challenging myself and, you know, I'm getting up there in years. I'm not, not a young buck anymore, but with that being said, I like to think that I'm smarter. I like to, I've learned a lot more. I understand hunting and what it's going to take to actually get back in there and be successful in these spots. So I'm excited to see if I can, if I can pull it off, if I actually have the, the skill set, the, the physical strength, the endurance to be able to do that, you know, day after day and do it well, picking the right spot, et cetera, moving, being mobile is going to be a big part of that. So I'm excited about that. And what I'm most concerned about kind of goes hand in hand with that. And that is the safety part of it. Uh, I am not 20 some odd years old. And it doesn't mean that a 20 some odd year old couldn't go out there and, and twist an ankle, break an ankle, you know, do something along those lines. So uh, I'm taking additional steps to make sure that I am like physically fit making sure that my diet's uh, in in line with what it should be for someone my age and that I'm taking uh, safety precautions because when, as you well know, even when I was hunting with you in Pennsylvania, if we weren't hunting together, 
And if you were in Delaware, I'd always send you a pin. Here's where I'm at. Here's when I'm going in. So I always had a hunt plan so that someone knew where I was. So I've actually bought some equipment to make sure that I am at least doing it smart. Wise advice. Yep. Just so you know, whenever you would send those pins and you were way back in, I'd be like, he's just going to have to lay there. I'm not going back that far. <laughs> I figure you could at least call somebody and say, hey, go fetch him, <laughs> would you please? Uh, no, good stuff for sure. And yeah, so for me, uh, I'm most excited about a couple of things. Number one, and this also, this isn't related to actually shooting a deer. It's just, I'm excited for that first moment when I'm out on my place where I've put in all the work and I see deer coming and utilizing the habitat I've created. I know last year when I was out there on my first sit for the year, an evening hunt, and when I started seeing deer piling out into my little interior food plot that was a weedy mess and full of dumped garbage just a year before, that, that, was, that was my most memorable moment of the season last year. Yeah, that, that meant a lot to me and I've done it further improvements. And so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, I'll, I'll certainly get a uh, tickle out of that, but you know, on the, on the shooting a deer side, uh, I have a score to settle with a buck that I missed, I think two days after Christmas in Delaware last year, uh, I'm sitting out there, picked out this pretty little spot and uh, end up missing a buck that he was probably 22 to 24 inches wide. And uh, yeah, so I missed him and I've been thinking about that deer all off season. I don't know if I'll ever see that deer again, but I definitely want to sit in that spot and uh, hopefully get another opportunity. So that's what I'm most excited about. Um, concerns, I think just being able to be patient and hunting when the hunting is good and not burning myself out. I have a tendency to go hard at it at times. And I think I've gotten better at this over recent years. But what I want to do is just keep it fun, keep it relaxed. Um, not coaching football anymore actually presents a challenge for me because I didn't have the time to go all the time, but this season I'll have more time to go. So <laughs> trying to limit myself and pick my spots and go when the best times are. So that would be my biggest concern. Uh, the next question I have for you guys is what's the one thing you wish you would have done more of heading into the season? So is there something you didn't get done or you, you don't feel like you're quite prepared for going into the year? And let's just keep the same order. I think that's working well. So Jason. I mean, for me, I'm a, I'm a woodsmanship guy. So, you know, and part of woodsmanship scouting and regardless of how much I scout, I always feel like I should have scouted more. Uh, you know, I mean, that's just, that's the biggest thing, you know, for me, I, I wish I had done a lot more scouting, even though I do a good bit. Like it's just, it never feels like enough. Doctor. Mine's the same answer. It was, um, I got tied up with making the transition from Pennsylvania to New York, and I never got to get boots on the ground. I've been doing a lot of cyber scouting, but that only goes so far. And then I've gotten to the point now where I don't want to actually tip my hand and actually let people know where I'm at in regards to showing up at these parking spots. And I figure the the individuals that are scouting now hopefully will you know get the get their scouting done get it over with and by the time it comes down to the grind of the season most of them will kind of be weeded out so i'm going to be doing more in-season scouting so i wish i had more time to get it done earlier in the year uh, but i'm going to make it work with in-season scouting and then just dive in really really hard after the season's over you know, like early next year 
you actually led me right to where I was going to go with a follow-up question because I would say my answer is probably the same. I mean, I feel pretty prepared, but I always wish I'd have done more. And so I don't know if this happens to you guys, but I find that a lot of times once a season starts, I kind of get paralyzed when it comes to doing additional scouting, which I know is silly. Early season especially, you should be out there trying to find a hot oak tree that's dropping or something along those lines. But I get too worried that I'm going to be disrupting the deer if I'm out there walking around. So how do you guys handle that? I mean, am I, am I being more cautious than I need to be? Or I'm just curious about your strategies. I mean, in my opinion, I don't think so. I mean, it, it just depends depends on how much is too much right i mean if you're going in there every day yeah but you know these deer they get bumped all the time by other animals you know like coyotes or whatever so like unless you're just in there consistently i don't think you're in danger of really burning out a spot from scouting yeah i agree i think that's a good answer uh and i'm the same way it's just we're just an, another version of a predator and, and for a deer, what is the intensity of our presence versus a coyote? I don't know. But what I will tell you is that it goes back to what I said before, walking through with a dog and, and grouse hunting or woodcock hunting seems to be much less of a threat. And I cover so much more ground that way, but the deer tend to be a little bit more at ease, even though there's a dog that is, you know, a canine, very similar to a coyote, but with a, a human behind it, I think it actually is a different message unless you're really far back in and, and that deer has never experienced that. But some of these smaller pockets that actually I wanted to grouse and woodcock hunt, I think that people walk their dogs there or other hunters run dogs through the fields and deer just get used to that. So in-season scouting for hot sign it is key. And that goes back to that point of being aggressive. I mean, at, at this point, when you're in the situation that the situation that I'm in, I feel like I have to go, I have to find that hot sign or I'm just going to be sitting there twiddling my thumbs all season. Yeah. I think I, pre I appreciate that input. I, I know for sure that I don't do enough of that. And then inevitably once the season's over, then I go walking around and I find like this, you know, a giant, beautiful, hot scrape that's a big primary scrape that's been there that I didn't even know about. And I say, well, why didn't I get out and look around and find that sign? And so that's usually what happens to me. We'll come back to passive versus aggressive here in a second. So let's get into strategy a little bit here. And I know we all get asked this question. I get asked this question a bunch. So when someone asks you, for your, what is your number one tip for getting within range of a mature buck or any deer for that matter, let's say a mature buck, what's your number one tip? Like, what's the number one thing I need to do to get myself close to a, a buck I want to shoot? For me, I'm a pretty aggressive hunter, uh, especially if I know there's a, a deer in the area. I, I push it, it's close, to, uncomfortably close sometimes. I mean, it's kind of like the old rule of turkey hunting. If you think you're too close, go another tree closer. Um, that's really my theory for uh, hunting mature deer and also being an aggressive guy. I always like to hunt a deer when the wind compliments him more than me. And I try to hunt off winds. Cause the thing is, if the wind completely compliment compliments you, and this is just my philosophy and theory, he's potentially not even going to be there anyway, because the wind's not in his favor. Right. Um, so th that is one of my primary strategies. And honestly, it, it, I've had the highest success rate of either laying eyes on a deer I'm hunting or getting a shot opportunity. Now, when you play a gamble like that, though, there are opportunities for 
you know, him to cut that off win and, you know, getting your, your, your win or your thermals and blow him out there. So that's definitely happened to me before, but you know, you only lose the hands you don't play. Right. Love it. We got a, we got an aggressive guy here, Mike. I mean, he, uh, Jason just gets in after it. So how about you? Well, that's, Jason took my answer. So first of all, I mean, but, but that, but what people really need to hear is, is he's right for, if you're looking at a mature buck, one that is four plus four and a half years or older, they're, they're different and they don't like to give up much. And I like Jason's point where you have to give them a lot and then you have to try and exploit a very thin seam of their weakness. And so, I mean, I, I like that answer, but so I, so to change to do something different here, I guess for mine, as you well know, for me, it's going to be attention to detail. So we know that we're trying to give that buck a lot. We're trying to exploit a very small chink in that armor. So you have to be nearly perfect. Your entrance, your exit, understanding what time you might need to be in there. Like if you can capitalize on a thermal shift, when he's moving to again, let him think that nothing's been below him all day and he starts to move. You move in as those thermals uh, shift and put a slight more advantage in your hand. So for me, it's attention to detail and understanding that and knowing how to use it to get close. So the doctor, those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that he is much more the tactician than what I am. However, that being said, there is one area that I am a tactician on and I do not try to compromise and that is wind direction. And that's already been brought up by Jason and Mike. Uh, I'm to the point now where I've got 30 plus years experience hunting archery white-tailed deer. And I've had the fortune of being around a lot of deer, a lot of older deer, had some success. And the one thing that I have learned more than anything else during that time is that if you don't have the right wind, you have no chance. And I just think so many hunters, Mike, you talked about entry and exit routes. That's important. Uh, so many hunters don't see the deer that are there because they don't take that into account. And so that would be my number one point is you have to have that wind. Regardless of anything else, you have to have that wind. And sometimes that means you just don't hunt. You just don't hunt your best stand maybe if you don't have the right wind. You got to be willing to do that. So that would be my two cents. If I know anything at all, I at least know that. All right, good points. Now, more tactical type question here. What percentage do you think you'll hunt from a stand, a blind, or even the ground? What do you think, Jason? Um, you know, it for me that varies based on the scenario. Uh, I, I'm I don't hunt very high. Uh, I'm usually no more than ten to twelve feet. I rely on cover, and here in the mountains, as you guys know, it doesn't matter if you're five feet or fifty feet. You can sometimes be at eye level with deer and. I think a lot of people are timid about hunting off the ground, but I do a lot of ground sits because um, it also allows you, it's a lot quicker for you to move if you need to. Um, so percentage wise, I mean, ideally, yeah, I'm going to spend more time in, in a, you know, elevated situation, but I'm not afraid of hitting the ground either. But typically I would say 70% of the time I'm elevated with a, with archery equipment and then a hundred percent on the ground with my rifle. I like it, Mike. So last year it was 90, 20, 90% of the time 
Oh, so let me do my math again. Jeez, oh, man. <laughs> I like 110 <laughs> percent. 110. That's um, the doctor, everybody. That's the doc. You uh, just witnessed a B team moment. There it is, right there. But 90 um, percent of the time I was in stand last year, 10 percent I was on the ground. But because this year being in new areas, as Jason said, if I am in a spot and I see deer moving in another location and it's conducive for me, and I believe that I'm going to see more there, I'm going to move. So I'm I'm saying that this year it might be. 60 40 50 50 potentially but that's just a prediction because i know that i i don't know what's going to be in front of me but i'm going to be reacting and responding as i need to yeah i i don't do a lot of hunting for deer out of blinds not with not with a bow anyway um i just i've seen too many deer deer aren't like turkeys i love hunting out of a blind for turkeys because they don't seem to care I mean, Mike, you and I have gone out and popped up a blind that very morning and had turkeys walk right past us, you know, like nothing. You do that to a deer and they're going to be turned inside out and stomp at you and all this. But uh, ground hunting is something that I am trying to get back into more. And I have a follow up on ground hunting here in a second, but I still am going to say I'm I'm probably 90, 10, 80, 20, mostly elevated um, on my own place. I have the luxury of having some stands that are just out there it's 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 kind of as i'm getting older too i have my home place kind of set up like the country club you just go out and climb up into a good stand <laughs> but i will still go use the saddle though i mean matter of fact i killed two does in one evening out of my saddle last year it was a spot that i knew they were using i didn't have a stand there uh, so i'll do that too now delaware is a different deal i mean it's it's saddle all the time out there as you hear me joke about ron he always has me walking three miles in to a spot that might only be a hundred yards from the road, but he wants me to go the roundabout way to get in there, which I appreciate. So it's, it's lightweight. It's getting up in a tree. It's, it's elevated there mostly. And the same thing in Kentucky. But, uh, you know, that being said, I'm trying to teach myself to use the ground more. And last year I had an antlerless tag left and I forced myself to hunt from the ground when I was using it. And I loved it. And I think that we spend too much time looking for the perfect tree to be in whenever you could get yourself some ground cover and be on the ground. That's my opinion though. How about you guys? How do you feel about ground hunting? Is it underutilized as a strategy? I think so, but there's a learning curve. You need to find out, you know, how to properly set up and cover is important. I mean, fortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, our national forest, they don't do it. And I'm speaking about home, home range hunting right now. We don't do any, we don't harvest tim timber here in our national forest. So you have a lot of old growth trees that fall over. So that creates, you know, a lot of brush cover. It also, you know, you have that root ball that comes up, you can hide behind, uh, you know, it, 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 with archery equipment, you know, a lot of people are timid because they think, I don't know, you know, cause you, you gotta get closer, right? The deer have to be closer to shoot with archery equipment. So they get timid about hunting on the ground, but there's key things that you can utilize on the ground, especially during, a, if you're going to sit the same spot all day is being in the shadows. Whereas you can have a problem on an all day sit. If you're elevated, staying in the shadows and staying in that, the shadows is one, in my opinion, one of the most important parts of being concealed is being in the shadows. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. That's a good, that's a good thought and a good tip. Um, for being on the ground, for me, it's all about comfort. I think that um, people initially, you plop down, you think that you're going to be fine in those first five or 10 minutes. You you are comfortable, but then all of a sudden, your knee starts to hurt, your ankle starts to hurt, you're twisted wrong, you're cattywampus where you're sitting on a side hill and it it's uncomfortable on your back. So I would say pick the correct spot. I like Jason's tip about being in the shadow, kind of like a sniper, uh, less things to reflect 
uh, when you're moving, but um, plan ahead and make sure that you're going to be comfortable. If you do need to bring a little bit of extra equipment to make sure that happens, do it because at, at the ground level, any movement becomes a threat for deer. So you have to be still and you have to be ready and be able to see them coming and you got to be comfortable and ready to make that shot. Can I give one little tip on that real quick, uh, sure. that I've been utilizing the last few years, um, you know, shooting from your knees and on your butt on the ground is really hard with archery equipment, you know, cause you really need to be sitting up and standing is very uncomfortable all day on the ground too. I started u- utilizing my saddle platform as a little seat that I kind of just mm. essentially can lean against and my feet are still on the ground. So when they come in, I can stand up and you know, where you guys live and I, I do, there's a lot of rhododendron and those create really good hides. I love the saddle example because I, it crossed my mind last year. I, I'm a tendency, I have a tendency to take a little stool out and sit on the stool behind a tree and some cover, which is fine. That works too. But as I was sitting there, I started thinking, you know, it'd probably be really comfortable to set up here with the saddle. And instead of having the platform, you just have the ground underneath you. So you're saying you've done that and that works well for you. Well, no, I use my platform as my seat. Oh, I, have, I see. I, I have used the saddle before and I've heard people... <laughs> I've heard people say they do that turkey hunt, which is kind of funny to me. But the problem is when you're tethered in and so, you need to make a quick move, you can't you can't move real quick if you're tethered into that tree on the ground. So I just use the saddle platform as a seat. That makes it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's a great idea. All right. The mind is working here. Uh, already thinking about some spots last year, just to the point of hunting from the ground, when I was forcing myself to do it, the number one thing I would say is it's a lot of fun. So get out of your comfort zone a little bit and do it. The one thing that threw me off though, and so Mike and I hunt this farm. I was, I try to help the farmer out with trying to shoot a few does for him if I can. And it was in the winter season and he has these old, looks like old culvert pipes that were pulled from somewhere. You know, it's, you know, this often happens on farms and they've got a collection of these things. And I would always see deer walk right past them. And I thought, I'm going to just use that as a natural blind and hunker down right in there. It worked out great. The problem was, though, is that it's everything's just different when you're on the ground, even though most of your target practice is from the ground. And I misjudged the distance on these deer, and I fired right over <laughs> right over the doe's back. And so I would just say, have that rangefinder handy, because it does things look different on the ground, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and also spend a lot of time in the off season practicing from various ranges without using your, uh, range finder too. So, cause that comes in real handy in those fast, fast moments, you know? Yeah. And you're, and you're a real man because you're hunting traditional all the time. I'm trying to get back into it. Mike shoots some traditional, but that that's, I mean, that's requires great woodsman skills to go out and do stump shooting, that type of thing. And so, yeah, you have to be better at it. Don't be like me and rely on gadgets all the time. If I forget my range finder, it's like the end of the world. <laughs> so anyway, or you, I, or you drop it out of your tree, out of your pack when you're climbing. Yeah. yeah. Why do you, why do you got to bring up the past, Mike? <laughs> well, we've all done it. I'm sure. So, <laughs> well, one of my B team moments was lot losing a range finder. So I buy a new one only to find my old one. So that's, you know, <laughs> anyway, well, this is perfect. This is a perfect transition then because we're going to get into gadgets right now. So are you guys gadget guys? And then talk about whether you're you're typically an aggressive hunter or a passive hunter. Jason, you've already kind of given us your answer on that. But how about gadgets? I mean, being a traditional guy, I'm guessing you don't have a lot of them. I don't. I mean, even though I make hunting equipment, I don't have a ton of gadgets. <laughs> I, 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 keep, I keep it simple, stupid as much as possible. Uh, yeah, you should hear my business partners make fun of me uh, about how anti-gadgets I am sometimes. 
So, so Jason's hunting with a loincloth and a stick bow. Mike, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty midstream with this one. I do have a couple gadgets that I believe is, is, is vital to me based to, to make my success better, which is I do carry range finder in my pack. I'm not that, um, that hardcore with my shooting ability, but I did, uh, as I mentioned before, buy a, a gadget this year, I bought a satellite communicator that interacts with my cell phone just because I'm, I'm back in areas, but it's not, I didn't buy one of those, uh, ones that are, you know, so expensive. This one is actually like just $200 I spent on it and it links to my phone. And even if my phone doesn't have cell service, I still can communicate via satellite, but use my phone to send a very detailed text message and uh, mark my spot, those types of things. So um, that's been probably the the biggest gadget that I have uh, bought in a while. Other than that, I'm pretty simple. Well, I have to confess that I'm a bit of a gadget guy. <sighs> I, I tend to buy a lot of the gadgets. So this is right up your alley there, Jason, but uh, and then not use them. So I feel like I have to have them, but then I don't really use them a lot. And I'm more of a passive hunter. So I, I used to be more aggressive. So you hear a lot about bump and dump these days as a strategy. I used to do that when I was in my late 20s. Uh, I would, it would be in the rut. And if I wasn't seeing a buck I was after, I would go tromping around through the woods and try to jump them and probably with a doe. And then I'd immediately set up in there for the next couple of days. And I killed two nice Pope and young bucks in Pennsylvania doing that. And for whatever reason, I've gone away from it. So I'm more passive now. But anyway... Um, yeah, I like to have the range finder. Um, and I, I, I do carry calls. I don't use them a lot anymore, but I'd like to have them. Um, but as far as other ways though, it's kind of funny. I'm still shooting hunting wise. I'm still shooting my compound and I'll just use a whisker biscuit rest because Mike, as you know, this, there was the time you and I went out and I had a, a drop a drop away rest and I broke the string on the way into the woods and I, I couldn't hunt that day. And I said, you know what, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. So I went to a simple rest. So I'm simple in that regard. But I think the biggest part of the gadgets for me now is carrying camera gear and camera arms because I'm filming just about every time I hunt now, because a lot of this stuff, not so much because I'm trying to film my hunt, but a lot of, if you're watching NDA videos, a good portion, probably 80% or better of the B-roll that you're seeing is actually stuff that I've shot over the years. So we're using it for like a business purpose. And that requires, even though I've gone as lightweight as I can, it requires extra gadgets. So, you know, video camera, an extra screen on top of the camera so that I can see it better, camera arms, uh, all these different things. So I end up being more of a gadget guy than I probably need to be, but I guess there's a reason for it. All right. Trail cameras. How much do you guys rely on them? For me, I use, I use them here in North Carolina, mainly for inventory purposes. Um, I am using a little more this year, but because of the deer I'm hunting, I've, uh, I, um, I really want to get an opportunity. So I'm, I'm, I'm using more cameras than I have, but you know, my experience, and even though we all try to do this, a camera can mislead you to information and you can get stuck on that camera and sit in a spot just because he was there two weeks ago. It doesn't mean he's going to be there again, but uh, I really like, if, I, if I'm hunting out of state, I don't use any because I like to go in and just hunt fresh sign blindly. Mike. Um, I use cameras, as I said before, mine are more, uh, to help with my like mental calculations for 
opportunity windows and that's windows of time during the season. And uh, I do have a B team story about that, but I'll let all I'll let my cameras in there and I'll let them soak. And the cameras that give me good information, they will become perennial spots for the following year until I get a really good census of when that spot heats up. And if a spot is a dud, which more than 75% of them are, they get moved to a new spot. And so that's how I use those cameras. And then at the end of the year, I kind of tabulate that information, look at key windows when the age class of buck that I want was best utilized in that area. And I keep that all up uh, in between my ears so I can move when I need to move. And I know roughly where I want to go. Yeah, both of you guys talked about inventory or knowing what's out there. And I think that's the biggest benefit of cameras. I like knowing, especially on my place where I'm there and I'm managing and I get to know the deer there. Uh, it's nice knowing, uh, you know, maybe my favorite time is after all of the hunting seasons are over and seeing what's left, seeing what made it through. Um, but I also, Jason, you said something there that I absolutely have seen in my career. And that is people and myself included overhunt what your camera's telling you. And so you let that camera dictate where you're going. And I can tell you, matter of fact, the buck that I'm, that I'm targeting at home this year, I probably have at least a hundred pictures of that deer last year. Ask me how many times I actually saw that deer in person. Zero. <laughs> and I've already got a bunch of pictures of this nice 10 pointer this year. And I still have never seen that deer. And I get daylight, and it's not like he's a nocturnal, you know, night walker kind of deer. He's there at daylight. He's there at dark. And so I'm guessing he also knows when I'm there. <laughs> so uh, I got to figure out a way to actually see that deer in person. But just in terms of the camera, he's all over the place. I just can't see him. And so just because your camera is picking up good sign, good pictures, you know, is that a spot you can actually hunt? Is the wind ever going to be in your favor in that spot? Those are the types of things you, you need to think about. So it's not just because you have pictures of the deer. That doesn't mean you're going to get them. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you overhunt those areas and the opposite's true. You're hurting, hurting your chances. But those can also help you out for the next year. If you look at what pattern made him move, you know, let's say last year, you can compromise on that the following year if that deer is still alive because we all know especially these mature bucks they're kind of creatures of habit to a degree too yeah you know when Bo martonic talks about his cameras out there just soaking um i think he gets a lot of that good data like he might not even go to that spot or check that camera all season and then he pulls that camera and let's say march of the next year he has enough information on a deer to say you know what on these days i'm going to go into those spots and so i think that's very valuable absolutely yeah I mean, that's how I use them. It's, it, it is surprising when you go through a card and you actually look at the, the time of year, the time of day, and then, then begin to cross-reference, you know, what was that? Was that wind doing that day? But then you have to understand what that wind does in there. You can look at the forecast or the history and it can tell you it was a, a north wind, but you get in there and it might be, it might be an easterly wind based on the terrain dictating how that pushes but those patterns are are just remarkable when you can actually look on they jump out at you it's like you go through and you're looking at doe 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 squirrel coyote fox doe bear and then all of a sudden it's like doe and then all the other does disappear it's like buck another buck over several days and and it's consistent day and night. There's mature bucks moving through that area. And it might be a one day window or a three day window. And you do the same thing the following year. And as I've always said, like my place here, 
It must be my Doe family group. November 789. I will be here because for the past 10 years, three and a half, four and a half, even now one is like, what what do we think that eight point is, Nick? Five and a half, six and a half year old show up in that window. Yep. There you have it. Good data. Absolutely. All right. We're going to wrap it up with this. And then we're going to talk about Timber Ninja. Uh, Overall, do you guys feel like you're ready? And what are your goals for the season? What are your hopes and dreams for the 2022-2023 season? Uh, Yeah, I'm ready. Well, our season opened last week. I would have said uh, two weeks ago I was not ready because I haven't even fletched my new arrows up. So, um, But now I've got everything ready and I'll have enough hunts in that I'll I'll have the system dialed, you know, you know how it is starting out. It's like being a one-legged man in a butt kicking contest, uh, when you first start the year out. Right. But by that, by the time when I feel it's like prime time, which I mean, I am targeting, uh, these deer at home, uh, I'm putting a good, uh, play in on them early season. Then I'm going to lay off of them for, uh, and wait until that, uh, end of, end of our second archery season is when I'm really feeling I'm going to capitalize, but I, I really would like you know, I feel confident that I'm going to get an opportunity to see one of these deer here. And that's kind of a primary goal of mine. And then I would love, you know, I feel confident about going into a new state, uh, like Illinois, cause I'm going for the opening week to do a lot of boots on the ground. And then I'll usually collect a good amount of data to, um, to help me during, uh, you know, my rut type trip. So if everything works out, I feel extremely confident and would like to get a, a good mature, get an opportunity to a good mature age class deer there. And then, um, you know, Ohio and West Virginia, I've got some history there. So even just going in, like, I, I feel confident that I'll get an opportunity to lay eyes on some killing's a different thing. Right. Um, yeah. and for me, I don't know about you guys, when you're hunting mature age class deer, um, just getting the opportunity to see them is a win to me. I feel like I've, I've won and then killing it is really, it's, it's icing on the cake for me. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Real quick, before we jump to the doctor there, you mentioned West Virginia a couple of times. Are you hunting the bow only counties in the Southern part of the state? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bow only it's rugged terrain. Uh, you know, it's getting a lot of attention these days, which, you know, I know media has to make money, right? I mean, I, I, I do it myself, but that place is pretty cool. And, uh, but the thing is like, it's so rugged, it, it may get a lot of attention for the big deer, but a lot of folks, if they're not used to that type of terrain, they're only going to go once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in, it's insanely rugged. It is literally straight up in some places I've hunted it. And the other thing people have to understand, and I think why they only do it once is because you may have to go eight or 10 times before you even see a deer let alone the deer you want. So it's just a very interesting place. So I was just curious about that. All right, Mike, you're up. I, uh, equipment wise, I am ready. I just have to wash and pack up my clothes here, which I'm doing next week, but equipment wise, I'm ready. Mentally wise, I'm ready because I'm, um, planned. I I plan on having a, a tough season, but, uh, to be honest with you, at the end of the day, what really is getting me excited is I want to shoot a mature deer on one of those public pieces. It's not going to be here at my place. I'm not excited to hunt here, which is like the most oddest statement, but I love that big chunk of woods. I mean, it, it's always been good to me. I've taken deer off there in the past. I just want to 
see if I can actually up my game and, and move into a direction that um, I know that uh, that specific class of deer are there. And I want to see if I can actually capitalize on one. So I'm, I'm really excited about that and I'm ready. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm more ready than I have been in years. Again, again, not coaching football. I love coaching kids. Don't get me wrong, but trying to do football and hunting or they don't coincide very well. And so I finally come to my senses and retired from that nonsense. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm as ready or more ready than I have been in a long time. And uh, my goals for the year, yeah, that's a tough one. I guess I got multiples. If I could just do a, just a, what I'd like to shoot kind of goal. I want to, I want to kill that deer <laughs> that I missed in Delaware more than anything else. I feel like the ones here at Pennsylvania, if I don't get them, I don't care so much because I just want to follow them and see what happens to them. And maybe they'll make it another year and just have some fun with it that way. And I'm also really uh, excited about working to introduce new people to hunting that haven't tried it yet. So I'm excited about that as well. So that was, those would be my goals. And so, Hey, I want to close with this because Jason, you're doing some really cool stuff with Timber Ninja. You guys have some unique products. I know you're working on some new things, uh, maybe some things you can't even tell us about, but uh, let's give our folks here a snapshot about what Timber Ninja is and what you all are up to. Uh, so Timber Ninja Outdoors, we're uh, a mobile hunting products company, uh, you know, specializing in innovative, lightweight uh products that get you to elevation, uh, is kind of our, you know, our main goal, but, you know, we will be adding some other things outside of just tree stands, saddle sticks and things like that. But we started in May of 2020 in, in the height of COVID and based off of really, I made some, I wanted some lighter climbing sticks, you know, cause as we talked about, I'm a mountain hunter and my business partners grew up here in the mountains. They're mountain hunters. We primarily hunt public land and I was just tired of lugging around heavy, equipment, uh, equipment that's not very efficient to, as far as, you know, getting set up and also very loud. So, uh, I'd mentioned earlier, I was in endurance sports. I raced bikes for a long time and I, I went through the, uh, change from aluminum bicycles to carbon. So, uh, I, I never understood why people weren't making anything out of carbon in the hunting world, which, you know, old man tree stands did make a carbon climbing stand back in the day. So that, you know, it has been done, but it never went anywhere past that. So I actually made a set of climbing sticks for myself, which definitely the most expensive set of climbing sticks. I mean, I think I ended up having a couple thousand dollars <laughs> oh, wow. in that set and it was just for myself. And then I own another business. So it, I really didn't have this dream of being in the hunting industry or starting a company. And, but, you know, through my business partners, they were excited to get involved. So we launched the company and, but we launched it with the goal of not just having a climbing stick and stopping there. You know, I really, even though I'm not a gadget guy, I love thinking about new ways of doing things and innovating and designing stuff. Uh, so, you know, when we started, we were going to get involved and we were going to completely innovate and keep making new products. Uh, and so we started with the climbing sticks in 2020, uh, we have two different versions of those in car carbon. We have a 20 and 24 inch, uh, which they come with a, uh, you can add a retractable aider on there to give you another 12 inches of uh, climbing height. And um, we also offer an aluminum version. And the reason went with carbon was lightweight. It's extremely durable. It's uh, also a lot less um, 
it creates a lot less noise than metal. And I've actually done a decibel test between our aluminum stick and our carbon stick when I, I hit them with a carabiner next to a dosometer. And there's about 20 decibels difference between the wow. two. So that's the key thing is, you know, being quiet and efficient uh, is the key to killing, you know, in my opinion, or being successful. But, you know, as I mentioned, we wanted to, ex our goal was always to expand beyond that. And, you know, so next thing I started working on was a uh, lock-on stand. And that's, we've been working on that for a few years and have spent thousands and thousands of dollars on that. But we do have a carbon fiber lock-on stand that uh, I've been hunting for the last few years, different variations of it. It is ready to go, but uh, I've kind of held off on releasing it because our business this year really kind of exploded and this still is a part-time job it's a hobby thing and it's become more than that but we just really didn't want to overwhelm ourselves so uh you know adding the, the client uh lock-on stand we released a saddle this year uh, a two-panel saddle and we have two new saddles in the hopper now that uh our plan is to be able to show those at ata and um we have a saddle platform that's ready to go and then uh, we're about to launch, uh, yeah, we're talking about self-filming. We're about to launch a carbon fiber, uh, camera arm that's made for, you know, solo self-filming, but, uh, you know, all of our products are made here in the U S and while I'm at the helm, they'll always be made in the U S and not only are we into making innovative products, you know, a big thing for us is hunter education and recruitment. Uh, we do, um, work with BHA here in the state. We do some of those, um, mentorship veterans hunts we did a turkey hunt this year and we have a uh, whitetail muzzleloader hunt in october that we're going to be participating in and uh so we're all about you know recruitment education and then conservation which you know that's you your guys neck of the woods right since day one we've we've given a portion of our um profits back to conservation you know being a small company are we donating millions of dollars no i, I more, more y'all, you guys buy the, the more money we can give back to conservation, but you know, that's what we're about. innovation, education, and conservation. Yeah. I love it. It was cool getting the, to see you guys and uh, we're, we're rooting for you. I mean, it's outstanding. The stuff you're doing very innovative. Um, that sound you heard Mike, by the way, was like money flying out of our wallets as he was talking about <laughs> the carbon camera arms and all this stuff. It's like, you guys need to quit making all this awesome stuff because we, we buy it all, but no, it's all good. And they're giving back. They're making it here in the United States, which is awesome. And, uh, Hey, thank you, Jason, for also for being on the show here today. It was fun to talk with you, get your perspective, uh, being a, being a, uh, the experienced hunter that you are. And I know our guests benefited from it as well. Check out Timber Ninja Outdoors folks online, timberninjaoutdoors.com and see some of the stuff that Jason's talking about. So thanks for being on. We appreciate it. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. After that discussion, Mike, I'm ready to run downstairs and grab my stuff and get out there. Uh, we still have to wait, unfortunately. We're less than two weeks away at this point, but we still have to wait. But I just like sitting back and talking deer hunting. I mean, that was a lot of fun. It is. And it's, it's why we do it. We've waited all year for this. But what I like is hearing other people's perspectives because it might be something that I can utilize or it make, might make me think a different way that might help me. So to have those open conversations and share information freely only benefits people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing too is, yeah, the most important thing for anybody is you need to just make the season your own. And I would just encourage you have some kind of a plan, set some goals for yourself, but don't be too rigid. 
I mean, don't, there's no reason to put pressure on yourself, but uh, you, you have nobody to please but yourself out there. So just you know, set a plan, go out, enjoy it, execute your plan, and have a great year. Whether that ends with filled tags or not, or you know, nobody at the end of the day, does it really matter how big the rack is or how many does you shoot? Just go out and enjoy yourself. Appreciate the opportunity that you have to do it and and just really uh, just take it all in and i know i plan to do a lot of that myself all right it's the b team report mike i'm going to start this time and it's not a huge one but it's a typical me thing that i do and first of all, I have to give a little background. This is from my, my $9,000 electricity project. And so people were falling out of, Mike's shaking his head. People were falling out of their chair. I, believe me, when I saw the estimate, I was falling out of my chair. It's going to cost me $9,000 just to be able to get electricity. Yeah. I should have said no to the project, but at the end of the day, when I added everything up and looked at other alternatives, it's still the best way to go. So that's neither here nor there. To get, pro get electricity to where I need it on my, on my property, if I wanna do things like have electricity in my garage and maybe have a camp there someday, I need electricity. So anyway, $9,000 and all, here's the best part. I still have work to do. That's not like $9,000 and I don't get my hands dirty. I have to dig a three foot deep hole to sink a pole into. And then I've got to dig a three foot deep trench to where they're gonna set their pole in order to run over to my electrical box. And so on top of that, I have to pay for a plastic PVC conduit. So I'll probably have $100 worth of pipe. Anyway, it sounds like I'm just whining. Anyway, very expensive project and I still have to do work. And part of it was digging that hole. And I'm digging through what part where I'm putting this thing. There used to be old strip mine there. And so I'm basically trying to dig through a parking lot. <laughs> and so anyway, I was all excited to get out there and get this hole, start to getting this hole dug. Stopped over to my dad's place because I wanted to borrow his digging bar. And he's actually got a post hole digger that will help pull some of that dirt out. But somehow I decided it was okay that I was going to be able to dig a hole without taking a shovel or a tape measure to measure how deep I was going. So what do you think of that, Mike? Jeez. <laughs> oh, I think that, first of all, that's that's a darn shame. That's just a, a, a lot of money. And, but again, everyone has their processes. Um, I have an issue up here at my place where the township has a 15-inch uh, culvert pipe that just ends on my property and it's, and it's washed out my driveway. And so I complained about it and they said, oh yeah, we'll fix it. We'll run, keep running it down past your property here, but you have to cut these three trees down. You have to buy 30 feet of 15 inch culvert pipe, which was, you know, several hundred dollars. And it's just one of those things that they're, they're willing to do so much up to a point and then it, the rest falls on you. So I'm shocked that you forgot the, the tape measure because it, the, when you said three feet, I'm like, that's a very specific depth. They're trying to get below the frost line, but to forget the tape measure, I think it was even more funny than the shovel because, you know, with a digging bar and a post hole digger, you can still get dirt out with the post hole digger, but you forgot the, the, the simple means of measuring the depth. I love it. That's well, funny. 
the fact of the matter is I can't afford a shovel now because I got to pay so much for the electricity <laughs> and I'm afraid to break it. So I'm just using my hands. Well, you know, and I can tell you this too, man, at my age and trying to dig through that mess, like that hole is going to be exactly 36 inches deep. It's not even going to be 36 <laughs> inches and one eighth inch. It is going to be 36 <laughs> inches deep. And if someone comes and if they come to do the work and complain, it's not deep enough, I'll be digging another hole there for another purpose. <laughs> so six feet, yeah. six feet long and a couple feet. Right. Deep. <laughs> exactly. So this is why you hear, unfortunately, these true crime stories and you hear about shallow graves. I, I get it because it's hard to dig a damn hole. Anyway, I'm about, I'm about halfway through digging the hole for my expensive electricity project. So there's my, you've got to put that on Instagram. You've got to, I want, I want the updates on that. That's hilarious. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. How about you? What have you done that was uh, unfortunate this time? Uh, again, for me, it's it's me being too eager that had, uh, had had punched me in the face today. So basically, back when I was pulling camera cars back in March, I had a camera, one of my ones that soaked all season, that actually lit up with multiple really good bucks and really good age class and i was ridiculously excited to get into this spot this year and i only looked at the card once and i put it away and i and i viewed it in my old hp computer well over the year that hp computer has now crapped the bed i did pull off the files because it was limping its way into death and so i had enough time to pull files off of it and so i downloaded files put them on a, an external hard drive. And I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, I need to start planning my fall in regards to which, which time frames I want to hunt where based on the, so I can start watching for the weather. And so I went into that hard drive and looked for my old HP files. And I'm like, okay, photos. And I you know went through and looked at them, looked at them. And I can't find that those set of pictures that were, were really interesting to me. So I'm like, oh, darn it. And so I'm looking more as so I start, I've spent easy six nights going through every piece of electronic data that I have trying to find this one subset of pictures that I had stored away. And then it hit me that I never saved them to a file yet. I just had them on the card. Well, as you well know, on my Instagram post from a couple, like when we talked to Pollineer from Cuddyback, I got all excited, went back and scrubbed my cards and formatted them. I never re-looked at the cards. I thought that I downloaded them all. I never did. I scrubbed that card clean. And I don't know. I mean, in, in my mind, for some reason, November 11th is talking to me. Like it was probably sometime around that time frame, but I don't know for sure. So I had to go back out. I have another camera in there now that I put up. I'm going to have to soak it for another season. I'm still going to go in there and probably hunt it once uh, because it, I could get some additional data. I need to speed up the process. But this process for me usually takes two to three years for me to actually tighten down the specific tree and the spot and the time frame and the wind. And so I pretty much lost a year on a potentially good spot. So, you know, here's me punching myself in the face. As you're telling the story, I'm thinking we could probably do a whole show on B-team stories related to the use of trail cameras. <laughs> so just a number of different mistakes, and I'm sure we'll get into those as time goes on. But uh, there you have it, folks. That's the B-team report. 
we haven't even had to dig into things we've done in the past because we have current ones that we do every between every show. So there you have it. We are legitimate B teamers. Hope you like the music, by the way. I I surprised oh, the doctor. I, oh. Yeah, I surprised the doctor with that. I didn't tell him last episode we were going to have music for the B team, and the minute he heard it, like he was sending me text messages. He loved it. So well, I was driving, and I was driving home from work, and the sun was actually in my face, and I started laughing so hard, I started tearing up. I couldn't see the road. I'd actually hit the <laughs> brakes, you know, very gently because I didn't want to drive off the road. I was laughing so hard. Oh, there you have it. We have B team music, which would have been a B team story. There, that would have been. Yeah, don't be in B team stories that involve wrecks and stuff like that. So, I think we're going to end it there, folks. Uh, we're excited, as we said, we are. Uh, if you haven't started hunting season already, you're very close to doing it. Uh, but by the next time you hear us after this episode, we'll actually have hunting stories to talk about, hopefully, because we'll be able to hunt at that point. So we're excited. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for all your nice notes. As I said, the show is growing, so we appreciate that. Remember to send us also, it is, like I said, it's hunting season. Send us your photos. Tell us your stories. we got to ask NDA anything coming up next episode. Send us a B-team report. We want to share the show with you. So we're the hosts. We're talking, you know, we're doing the talking here, but we want to share the show with you and involve our guests and our listeners as much as we possibly can. Also, check out the new NDA website, DeerAssociation.com. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.